0: early Christian letters for everybody Uh, this is well worth a purchase um, if for no other reason than you can see what's coming Um, each of the uh, uh, the his subject headings we've we've broken into a a different week and it's just um, between two and six pages uh, on each of the sections so you can even get ahead of yourself um, um, uh, every Sunday morning Well worth the purchase if you want another bit of context of uh, Peter, who he was and where he came from, I came across this book called The Disciple. It's written by a guy called N.D. Eque, um, uh, and is really highly readable. I'm only about halfway through it at the moment, but um, uh, I'm loving it so far. Uh, anyone that starts with a Matrix quote is, uh, is good in my book. Uh, so uh, well worth a read as well. Right, enough of commercial breaks. Uh, Let's dig in. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that we can be gathered here today. Um, Thank you that you are with us. Lord, I pray that you'd um, uh, take hold of the things that uh, I've scribbled down and uh, filter out the stuff that's from me and just bring home to each of us the things that you want to be saying to us this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. I often get a bit stuck when I'm starting an email to someone, trying to figure out what the appropriate greeting uh, should be. Um, uh, Different cultures, and I work across a few of them, have very different expectations. Um, uh, Some of my more Western colleagues can't abide it that I don't just get on with what I was supposed to be writing about in the email and tell them what they're supposed to be reading. Uh, uh, On the other hand, um, I've learned that I'll get in trouble with some of my African colleagues uh, if I don't greet each of their family members by name in the first paragraph and send greetings to them. Greetings are a bit of an odd thing, Um, and so I realise I can get a little bit blasé when it comes to the first paragraph of pretty much every New Testament letter that was written, particularly because the NIV usually unhelpfully titles it greetings, so you just kind of scan through it. But this first paragraph um, of 1 Peter um, isn't just the front of the envelope that says uh, who it's going to and where. Um, uh, And it isn't just that wishful greeting of hope you had a new good new year that I'm sure a number of us have written a good number of times in emails this week. Um, uh, It's a pronouncement of blessing on the people, grace and peace to you. It's a prayer in faith asking God to bring about these things to and among his people. It's got both vertical and horizontal uh, outworkings. The blessing is that they would experience grace and peace from the Father, but also that they would give and experience grace and peace to one another. It's a lot more than just an introductory greeting. It's a manifesto headline. Uh, In a week when some of our political leaders have been outlining uh, what they want to achieve and be known for, um, this is a wonderfully simple manifesto of the gospel. Grace and peace one of the commentaries built builds on it Um, uh, he says grace and peace be yours in abundance this gives us in miniature the whole message of this letter and to be honest if the uh, book itself is a gospel summary of all that people wants to communicate to scattered christians uh, i guess we can go straight to the final song from here and skip the next few weeks Um, But on the off chance that you might want to hear a little bit more while I'm already up here, let's unpack it a little bit. Um, The other bit that's easy to skip over uh, is in verse 1. Peter says he's writing to exiles, people living as foreigners. Now, for for some of the readers, this may be literally true. Um, Some of them may well be Jews that were scattered from Jerusalem. But we know this was primarily written to the Gentiles who lived in those regions of what we now call Turkey. They were born and bred there. Those who knew their Jewish history uh, would know all about the diaspora when the uh, Israelites were overthrown uh, and sent to live in Babylon centuries earlier. Um, and as was mentioned in the video, Peter talks about writing from Babylon. But these people were in a land that they grew up in. So they, weren't, um, they wouldn't have felt like foreigners there. And that's the point that Peter's making. He's calling them out of their comfort zone of living how they've always done. And calling them to live as foreigners in the land that they used to call home to throw away their passport identity and primary national allegiances, and to live in this world as if they were aliens. Peter isn't just writing a letter about some theoretical piece of theology. He's writing a traveler's guide for pilgrims. Some of you may have uh, remember that uh, Leslie spent a chunk of time um, in a refugee camp in Lesbos a few years ago. One of the people that she met there was a girl called Zara. Uh, Zara was from Syria, but she and her whole family had left in search of a new life. But Lesbos wasn't her new life. She'd left her old existence and knew where she wanted to go, but she wasn't there yet. When Leslie met her, she and her family were still trying to figure out how to live in this in-between land, not the place that they came from that they used to call home and not having arrived at their destination, but living in the hope of that new land that was coming. These are the kind of travellers that Peter's talking to, those in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Alton, Solihull, and even Acocks Green. We are all the new diaspora and we need to learn how to live as foreigners in a land that looks familiar but is no longer our home. We're still waiting for the place that will really feel like home. As the uh, 80s singer Keith Green pointed out, God managed to create this world in six days but apparently he's been working on our next home for 2,000 years. I must admit that I used to think this was a bit like um, having two passports, dual citizenship, your home nation here on earth, and where I'm heading, my heavenly uh, kingdom passport. But what Jesus is calling us to is a lot more radical than that. It involves revoking our citizenship of this earth and fully taking the Pledge of Allegiance to a new kingdom. Throwing away our own passport, fully knowing that that means that we will both look and feel like aliens in the land that we're now just travelling through. Okay, that's probably enough of theoretical picture language. What does this actually look like in practice? Well, it's time to turn to our traveller's guide. Apparently, we're already there. I must have clicked too many times. Um, So, firstly... uh, uh, It involves digging in. A good starting point for exile living is taking a look at how God told his people to live when they were in Babylon. These are the instructions he told Jeremiah to give to the people. Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. It's true that God does call some people to live lives separated out from the world, but that's not the normal pattern for believers. We live lightly. We don't live for the possessions and things around us, and we definitely don't get too attached to them. But we do settle into our communities, first and foremost for the sake of those around us. We live the balance of being separate but still a part of things, not just on the fringes, but in the heart of what makes a community work. And as the uh, passage pragmatically points out, it'll benefit us also along the way. Secondly, we live by making an impact. Uh, Peter goes on to talk about living such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's the nature of being a foreigner anywhere that you are often misunderstood and judged in the moment. But what Peter's encouraging us is that if we live our lives with consistency, then over the long haul, people come to understand who Jesus is through the way that we live our lives. I have to say, this is one of these things um, that more often I have to take by faith. I grew up with these mighty testimonies of spiritual giants who would seemingly on a daily basis have friends and strangers alike come up to them, and ask them what it was that made them the way they are, leading straight into life-changing evangelistic conversations in the moment. I don't find these things to be true in my life very often. And maybe that says something about the uh, consistency of the way I live my life, or maybe it says something else. Um, But I'm trying to leave these stories to be told in eternity rather than grab at the pieces of them um, here and now. So lastly, uh, we live by being ambassadors. Um, The one official position we hold as aliens in this land uh, is that of foreign ambassador, primarily working for the Ministry of Reconciliation. Uh, Peter talks about this in priestly terms, Uh, but Paul talks about it more explicitly in 2 Corinthians. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and as he committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, John Bunyan is uh, famous for writing his own Traveller's Guide, um, a little book called Pilgrim's Progress, which is uh, still an awesome read to this day. Uh, But one of the criticisms um, that's been made of the tale um, is that the central character in the book, Christian, um, is in such a hurry to get to the end of his pilgrimage and reach the heavenly kingdom that he doesn't actually take time to build the kingdom of God along the way. That's not how we are to live in exile. It's not a race to the end, but being faithful ambassadors while we're here. So that's the first part to the Traveller's Guide, how to live in exile. But Peter goes on in the rest of this passage um, in chapter one, to give us an executive summary of the rest of the book, uh, and in particular to outline what we should look like as, as exiles living among a foreign people. So, what should we look like? Firstly, uh, people of a living hope. I must admit, I tend to get a little bit confused about the word hope. Um, People tend to use it when there's only an outside chance of something happening. Um, uh, I hope it doesn't rain today is immediately followed by looking out of the window and seeing what the clouds are doing. Um, uh, The key issue is what are you putting your hope in rather than have you got hope? Parents always hope their kids will do well in exams. Uh, When my mum uh, hoped my elder brother was going to do well in his exams, uh, it was based on him being smart, picking really good subjects, working like crazy, revising in a strategic and thorough way, and getting a good night's sleep before the exam. When she hoped I was going to do well in my exams, it was more this vain hope of, I hope there's a freakishly good set of questions that inexplicably matches the minuscule amount of work that he's done. (laughs) It all depends on what your hope is rooted in. So, what's the hope that Peter is talking about, and what kind of hope-filled people should we be? Uh, Firstly, uh, people of resurrection-centred hope. Think back on the journey that Peter himself has taken around the resurrection. He was the first to stand up and proclaim um, Jesus as Lord. But then he'd been called Satan by Jesus when he counseled Jesus against going to his own death. And he'd slid even further when he denied having anything to do with him. And then, bam, the resurrection happened And Peter had conversations with this resurrected Jesus, and that changed everything. For him, hope was really tangible. It came in the person of God who'd come back to life. It was literally a living and active hope, lived in the anticipation of a new kingdom approaching. Secondly, it's a tangible hope. Verse 4 of the passage talks about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. (coughs) We know and can articulate what we're hoping for. And it's not even just the land that the wandering and exiled Jews we're hoping for. It's a kingdom that will leave behind all the troubles of our current existence. I must admit, I always got a little bit sad when the NIV downgraded our inheritance. In John 14, from, in my father's house are many mansions, says the New King James Version, to NIV, my father's house has many rooms. Either way, there's something mighty fine waiting for us as part of this inheritance. Uh, Ultimately, our hope is in salvation itself, being with Jesus and being like Jesus because we'll see him as he is. Thirdly, we're a people of protected hope. Verse 5 tells us that we are shielded by God's power. It's the same term used for being in protective custody. God has us under armed guard. The message version says, Keep, uh, God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. It is one of the struggles of living in this foreign land to really understand what God's protection looks like in everyday life. What are the boundaries on it? What are the conditions? How does this actually work out? Fortunately for you, you have wiser speakers than me coming and unpacking this very issue in chapters two, three, and four. But ultimately, all our hope um, is, for now, safely under lock and key. Finally, we're a people who have to wrestle with a paradoxical hope. Verse 6 takes us through this roller coaster ride. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer all kinds of grief in all kinds of trials. I've always tended to read this as you will greatly rejoice. When you get through and out the other side of all this mess, then you'll get to the rejoicing part. Um, but Peter doesn't let us off that easily. Verse 8 talks about talks in the present tense. You are filled with an inexpressible joy, right here and now. Again, I don't have easy answers on how this works in practice, and I must admit I'm not very good embracing it in the moment. But I'm looking forward to, to our illustrious lineup of speakers that we'll, we will have over the next few weeks that will enlighten us further on these points. If all this is a little bit too much for you on the first Sunday back in the new year, uh, I just want to leave you with um, a reflection that the writer of the Hebrews had after he'd written this whistle-stop tour of um, the lineup of the Old Testament's good and great of exiles and travellers. This is Hebrews 11. Each one of these people of faith died, not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted. But they were after a better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we haven't got this all figured out yet, and we uh, daily feel the pull of... um, living as if this place is home, uh, settling down in the wrong ways uh, and becoming comfortable here rather than um, uh, living in the way that you call us to as exiles and travellers in, in the land. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would day by day loosen our hold on the things that um, uh, we're too drawn to down here and uh, have our eyes fixed firmly on you uh, and the kingdom awaiting us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.